Today we're going to start a, a new series, and the long title of the series is Attitudes That Make a Difference, and I think the short title is just kind of like Beatitudes, because uh, these are the attitudes that we need to be in and have and possess. So um, let's just start off with prayer, and then uh, we'll kind of start off this series today. Father, we just thank you for your anointing in our lives. We thank you for being here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And as we go through the word, even as we went through worship and we're still here, our hearts are open to you. Uh, Father, we just thank you for being with us. We don't want to rush through things. We want to be here. We're, we're like sponges today, Lord God. We just want to soak in everything that you are. And we don't want to be damp. We want to be dripping with who you are, Lord God, in Jesus' name. We need you. We desire you. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Show us what we need to see today. Tell us what we need to hear today. And give us your strength to do what you ask us and show us to do. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So really what we're going to do is, over the next several weeks, we're going to go through um, really the Sermon on the Mount. It takes through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's going to take us several weeks to go through this. And as I was looking at this last year, as the Lord put this on my heart to do this series at the beginning of the year, or, you know, our, our, our whole theme for the year is, is be the difference. And we started off with prayer that makes the difference. And now we're going to talk about attitudes that make the difference. Because really when I looked at this and the Lord revealed this to me and showed me through those three chapters in Matthew, he really is dealing with attitudes the whole way through the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, you know, attitudes are important. Can you say that? Yes, yes or no? And the truth is that every single one of us right now have an attitude in here. There's some form of attitude that you have right now. Now, it doesn't mean that you got a bad attitude, although you could have a bad attitude. And if you do, we hope that that'll change by the time you leave. Amen? And, uh, and so the title of this message, if you're taking uh, notes, is The Right Attitude. The Right Attitude. And I want to kind of like you know, give you a definition of the word attitude. And I want this to stick because this is going to, what's going to help us understand as we go through this whole teaching of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus went up to teach, um, uh, talking about the attitude. This will help set the precedence uh, uh, as we go through this and, and learn together. So an attitude is a position of the mind. It's also a position or posture of the body. Now, maybe you've heard the story about, you know, we, you know we, can, we all know that someone can have an attitude and they may not be saying anything, but you can see by their body gesture that they got an attitude. Something's going on. It reminds me of that story about the little boy that was in school and he was kind of being disruptive. So the teacher said, I want you to go sit in the corner. And he went and he folded his arms and he's sitting in there and, and then he belted out right before. He said, you know, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> Sometimes attitudes are like that, you know, because uh, regardless, you know, our faces leak what's really going on in our hearts. They really do. Uh, we're all evidence of that. But it, so there's a position. The attitude is a position or a posture of the body. And it's a position of the mind. And it even goes on forward, that position of the mind is really your mental or your emotional outlook. I want that part right there to click with you through this whole series. Your attitude 
is your mental and your emotional outlook. You know, there's also, uh, I wanted to do this whenever we were in the plane, and I, and I didn't after being on, just wanted to get off the plane. But, um, you know, in uh, aeronautics, uh, they have a, a gauge. It's called the attitude indicator on the plane. And it really shows where it indi- it's the indicator of where the plane is, or really the nose of the plane, uh, compared to the ground. And that's very, it's a very uh, necessary uh, instrument in flying because you need to know. Sometimes you go, I mean, you're flying through clouds. You don't even know where you are. You have to have that indicator to let you know where you're at when it comes to the horizon. And our attitude's just like that. You know, when, you're, when, you're, when the gauge is up and the line's straight across and you're above that line, you're climbing. When you're below that line, you're descending. And our attitudes are like that because, you know, our attitudes can help us to soar or they can keep us grounded. And they can even cause us to crash. It's very important. We have to have the right attitude. And uh, as a believer, the thing you will spend the most time working on is your attitude. It's your mental and your emotional outlook concerning life and God's kingdom. That's what you're going to spend most of your time as a disciple of Jesus Christ you will have to spend more time working on your attitude than anything else. Your mental and emotional outlook concerning life and God's kingdom. You know, and uh, when Gabriel the angel went to uh, Zacharias, the priest, uh, right before um, John the Baptist was born or before he was conceived, he came and he spoke to Zacharias as he was performing his duties in, in uh, the temple. And uh, he said this about John the Baptist. He said, he, John the Baptist, will go as a forerunner before Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Isn't that funny? He's going to turn the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. So this is saying like we have a bad attitude. We could also consider to be in disobedience because we're not having the attitude of the righteous. Paul goes on to say in in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Have this attitude in you or among yourselves, which was also in Christ. Have the same attitude that Christ had. The New Century Version says it this way. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. He's our model. And the awesome thing about it is he don't model it and then say, you have to do it in your own ability. He modeled it and he gave us his ability to be able to do what he modeled. That's grace. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth was given through Jesus Christ. So in in chapters 5 through 7 of the book of Matthew, Jesus delivers what I believe is probably his most profound teachings known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, one scholar said that the Sermon on the Mount is in effect King Jesus' inaugural address explaining the culture in heaven and what it's like. And... uh, you know, this very first, we, we know in the scriptures, like there's, it'll say in your heading in there, if you read through Matthew chapter 5, it says the Beatitudes. 
And this is what Jesus starts um, his, his sermon with, is what's commonly known as the Beatitudes, because these attitudes or your mental and emotional outlook are the fruits of someone who has been blessed. And the exciting thing about this is, you know, you've heard it before, blessed is this, and, you know, theirs is this, and blessed because of this, and so forth. I want you to understand that, um, you know, you can't do these things on your own. You are blessed because of who Christ Jesus is and your faith in him. It makes all these attitudes available for you. We We may not be walking in them all right now, and be fully mature in all of these attitudes, but they are available to us because what Christ has done at his cross. Amen? So I want to take you through this uh, first, really the first part of chapter 5 this week, and then we'll continue on next week. But if you have your Bibles, we will be in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we'll end up around verse 20 uh, at the end of the teaching today. But Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1, it says this, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed. That's the very first thing that he says in starting this Sermon on the Mount teaching. The very first word that he uses is blessed. Now, what's important about this word is, is that it don't mean just happy. It don't mean, you know, you're blessed, you're just happy, because happiness is an emotion often dependent on outward circumstances. Doesn't mean you're just, you're just blessed or happy because of things that have happened. It's actually a grace word that expresses special joys and satisfaction that's granted to a person who experiences salvation through Jesus Christ. It's only because of him. The actual Greek word uh, for blessed is makarios, and it means happy, supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off. It comes from the root word mak. It indicates something very large or of long duration. It's large, it's big, and it lasts a long time. That's awesome, regardless of your outward circumstances. So you've heard me say this before, but I think it's better to mention again in this teaching that you can, you can be outwardly happy because of favorable circumstances, but you can only be blessed because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, period. You can't. People can say they're blessed, but if, they're, if they are outside of Christ, then they really do not know the meaning of that word blessed because it has nothing to do with outward circumstances, but it has everything to do with the inward circumstance of what Christ has changed and brought us to through his cross. Amen? I love the way if you read, if you read these Beatitudes in the Amplified Version, it always starts that blessed. It seems like it can be kind of redundant at the same time. I'm only going to say one of them. But this is what it says. Every time it says the word blessed uh, in Matthew chapter 5, this is what it says in the Amplified. Blessed, happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction, is God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are those, and it goes on. And I could even put in here, are those with the right attitude, are those with the right mental 
an emotional outlook concerning life and God's kingdom. Amen? So the first thing I want you to get this morning is this, that the right attitude is normal in God's kingdom. The right attitude is normal in God's kingdom. It's part of his culture. You know, we described uh, last year what the word culture means. The very uh, easy way to describe culture is, is what's normal here. Well, when you look at heaven, these attitudes are what is normal in heaven. It's what's normal there. It, it, it's functioning. Amen? So we're going to look down through, starting at verse number three, and kind of go over some of these attitudes that Christ is showing is available to everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, and also the, the benefits for having these attitudes. The very first one in, in Matthew chapter five, verse number three, is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That doesn't mean to be poor. You know, you've heard people that are uh, maybe in poverty and they're like, well, you know, I'm blessed because I'm in, I'm, I'm in poverty. It does not mean to be financially in poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This has to do really with our dependency upon God. The poor in spirit are those who recognize their spiritual poverty. We can't do anything without Jesus. We need God. We cast aside our self-dependence and we make ourselves totally dependent upon God and who he is. That's the poor in spirit. We recognize that we need Jesus. I still believe this is one of the greatest revelations that we need and could have in every situation. I need God. I need his help. I need his presence. I need his provision. I need his wisdom. I need his counsel. I need his insight. Amen? We need God. The poor in spirit are those who really know that they need God. Man, that's a blessed thing when you come to realize that you need the Lord. I'll never forget, on the beach of Daytona, 1995, when I gave my life to Jesus, that's exactly what I said. I didn't have anybody lead me in a sinner's prayer. I was on the, on the beach of Daytona overdosing on drugs, and I called out to God. And I, at first, I began to, you know, question, like, you know, what do you want from me? Like, you know, what, what's this going to take? What, what do you want from me? And it finally came down. I just said, you know what, God? I don't care. I just can't do it on my own anymore. I need you. I'll do whatever you want. And I've never gone back because he's always proven himself faithful. He is everything that we need every moment of the day in every situation that we're in. We need him. Amen? You know, in the book of Revelations, uh, Jesus gives a warning to the church of Laodicea because you know, they're, they're going and they're kind of, they're not cold or hot. They're just kind of lukewarm. They're not fervent for Jesus. They're not totally cold either, but they're just kind of in the middle. And he said, I would rather you to be cold than to be lukewarm. Don't stand in the middle. And he said this in, uh, in Revelations chapter 3, verse number 17. He said, you say I am rich and I have everything I want and I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind, and naked. 
He said, I advise you to buy these things. Come to me and I will give you the things that you need. The poor in spirit are those who know that they need God. And the blessing is that theirs is the kingdom of God. When you realize that you need God, just like Jesus said in, in, in Luke, he said, little children, be of good cheer. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Those who know they need God, Kevin, heaven's resources are at their hands. A second one, as he continues his teaching on the right attitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It doesn't mean blessed are those who are sad. One translation says grieve, but it doesn't mean just to be sad or, pe or to be bereaved. It has to do with the idea, when you begin to search this out, it has to do with the main idea of mourning is that you have come to a place of repentance. I know I need God. Now those who are, are mourning, hey, when you turn away from your flesh and you go to do God's way, your flesh is mourning because you're doing God's way. But part of repentance is turning from my own way, from your own way, and turning to God and doing it His way. These are those who are blessed that are mourned. Those who, they're not necessarily those who people who have been bereaved or they're sad, but those who experience the sorrow of repentance. And this is not only just having a sorrow for repentance for our own actions and our own deeds, but also in experiencing mourning for the sorrows and the actions even of the church at large or even those who are uh, you know, being disobedient to God at this time. It grieves, it should grieve our hearts when we hear and see people not doing the things that would please the Lord or they don't have a relationship with the Lord. Amen? Our heart enlarges when Christ comes to be a part of it. 2 Corinthians 7.10, if you're taking notes, says this, For the kind of sorrow... God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. This is one of the things about the sovereignty of God that we need to understand. God is always looking at everything from the eternal purpose. We see things and we'll see a tragedy and things that are happening, maybe someone, someone's life uh, is taken from them, or we believe, you know, it's just too early, whatever this is, that God sees the eternal more important than the now. We look at things totally different in the natural than God sees them in the eternal. If I lived to be 150 years old, but I didn't know the Lord and I died, that's sad, even though I lived a very long life. If I lived a short life, but I knew the Lord, my sadness is over because I have eternal rewards with God the Father in heaven. Amen. They say mathematically, when, it, when you take any amount times the, uh, eternity, it amounts to zero. Regardless, you could live a billion years on the earth, but if you take it by the eternity, it still counts to nothing. Because eternity is forever. Amen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I love that word comforted in the Greek actually means they shall be called near. Isn't that awesome? When you have a repentive heart, you know that you need God and you have a repentive heart towards God. 
He calls you near. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Amen? The third one, Jesus says, is the right attitude in the kingdom. Blessed are the gentle. Another translation says the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This gentle refers not so much to an attitude towards people, even though that's part of it, but it don't just, it don't just mean gentle towards people. It actually has a, dispos it's a disposition before God, namely humility before the Lord. I like that it doesn't mean to be weak, but it means to, be, to have controlled strength with the Lord. It, it also it carries the idea of humility and self-discipline and also stewardship. Being self-disciplined before the Lord with His ways, being held to be seen as one who could be counted faithful as a steward of the things of God, and the reward of being a good steward before the Lord is that you will inherit the earth. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Can you see even, even all these things that um, sometimes we've looked at these, I've looked at these myself, and we kind of always look at ourselves with these things and just look at ourselves, but God is so big, it's, he, he always leads us you know, to, the, to Him within as we become born again and we're, we're saved through, through the cross of Christ and our faith in what Jesus has done, but it goes beyond that. God wants us to overflow. It's not just about us. When we understand who God is, it's always leading us to Him, and then it's, He's leading us from Him back out to others to be able to have His heart for His creation. Amen? So blessed are the gentle, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They're, they have humility towards God. They're self-disciplined in their lifestyle. They're found as good stewards. The next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Who wants to be satisfied? One translation I like a little bit better, it says, they shall be filled. Filled. Now, you have to understand one thing about the word filled when it comes to, to the kingdom. Filled doesn't mean just up to the brim. Kingdom filled means overflowing. That's how God works. To be filled means to overflow because it's not, again, it's not just for us, it's for everybody else. I can hold what I can hold and I can give out, but if I'm overflowing, there's a constant pour of God coming in and I'm holding only what I can hold and everything else is flowing out, that means no matter where I go, I'm leaving the, the essence and the residue and the drippings of the Lord wherever I go, wherever you go, because we're overflowing. You can only hold so much. We're all a vessel. And God wants us overflowing for Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is not just, you know, again, it's not just for our own, uh, our own righteousness, your hunger and thirst, just for His ways alone. It goes on to even mean that we hunger and thirst for everyone to experience His righteousness. Hunger and thirst to be filled up with who he is. It's a deep longing for both personal righteousness and justice for the oppressed. And at once was us. Now we're filled up. Now we want to go out and help others to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Hallelujah. The next attitude that he has, he goes over. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now it begins to get 
if you want to say, a little more personal with the Lord. Because as we come closer to God, it gets a little more personal. That means, you know, when we first come to the Lord, He deals with our sin in general. Knowing that we have sinned against the Holy of God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And without His righteousness, we're all doomed to eternal damnation in hell. But He loves us so much that He gave us a door of escape. And that door of escape will always be Jesus. It will always be turning to Him. And he'll point us which way to get out of temptation or, or sin or whatever is there. But as we draw closer to the Lord, He don't deal with in a general sense. He begins to be more specific about sins in our lives. Now, all past sin has been done away. Praise the Lord. It's, it's been so far done away. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, all that sin has been dissolved and gone. It don't even exist anymore. That's something to get excited about. Amen? But we have things in our heart that, that we're, still, we're still walking through. There's temptations. There's, there's bondages. Even as Christians, doesn't mean we're possessed by the enemy. We're not possessed. You can't have the Spirit of God and be possessed by the enemy at the same time. But we can still be in bondage. We can still hold shackles around our legs and around our wrists and maybe even around our, our neck or our throat. And they're broken, but they're still on. And we're still living from the mindset of being in bondage instead of being set free. And these are the attitudes that God wants us to have because he wants us to soar. He don't want us to stay grounded. The enemy wants us to stay grounded because if we stay grounded, we're just exactly where everybody else is. But if we soar, we give other people hope to look up. And when they look up and see that we have been set free, they see Jesus shouting above us the victory cry. Amen. So this is where it gets a little more personal because he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And this has to do with being compassionate in word and in deed. And sometimes... It's not only in giving a word or, or in, in giving a deed, doing a kind deed towards someone. It could also be in holding back a word that shouldn't be said or holding back a deed. That's, that's mercy. You know, to receive mercy is to not receive what you deserve. That's what Christ did for us. That's what God did through us through Jesus Christ. He gave us what we did not deserve. We deserved punishment. Jesus came and took our punishment for us. He is a merciful God. He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us what we did not deserve, which was His grace. So this is more of a, of a lifestyle. This is why it gets a little more personal because it's not just you know, doing one act of mercy. It's really considered to be, as you look this word up, it's not just a single act, but it's merciful as a lifestyle. We become to be merciful to others, biting our tongues at times, holding back our actions at times. When we want to say something, we want to do something, and doing what we know Jesus would do, not, not just because we know it's what he would do, it's because of what he has done 
for us. This is why, you know, in, in the Gospels, when Jesus told the story of, of, about the, uh, the ruler, you know, that had someone owed him like, you know, an equivalent to like a billion dollars in our day. And the guy came and he says, you need to settle accounts. You owe me this money now, pay it. And he says, I don't have it right now, but please be merciful. He fell down before him and said, be merciful. Because he said, if you can't pay it, I'm going to throw you in jail. I'm going to sell your wife and your kids and all your possessions. They're going to go into slavery until you can pay your debt. He's like, be merciful. I can't do it right now, but I will. And the Bible says that this ruler had compassion. He had mercy for him. So much mercy that he said, you know what? You don't owe me a thing. I absolve you of all your debt. Go be free. He, he, he saw his need and he, he really he paid, his, he paid the debt for the man. And then that man went out and saw a fellow servant that only owned equivalent of like $100. And he said, pay me what you owe me. And the man fell down and said, I don't have it right now, but if you'll just, just give me some time, I'll pay the whole thing. And he said he was not willing. And he had him thrown into jail. And then the news got back to the ruler that had just forgiven him all this debt. He said, how could you not show mercy even as I showed mercy to you, I forgave you all this debt and you couldn't forget something so small? You know, in the kingdom perspective, God is the one that paid the big debt. Our little debt towards everybody else is so small. It's like $100 compared to a billion. It really amounts to nothing. He paid the bigger debt. And if he paid that much of a debt towards us and being so merciful and so kind to us, it's actually a requirement because it's, it's like mercy that demands a response. Someone did this to me. How can I not allow it to flow through me and be that merciful? It's like a life lesson demonstration. All at once, I paid your debt. Now I'm giving you the ability to be able to be merciful to others. This is why it gets personal. Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. You know, Jesus went on to teach in another place in the Gospels where he said, when it comes time to the judgment, those who show mercy, even if they, even if they don't know the Lord, when it comes time to be judged, eternal judgment, those who had a kind of a merciful heart and they were merciful to people that they'll receive a lesser punishment than those who did not show mercy. That's how kind God is. Amen. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. It's a great, it's the right attitude. One of the great right attitudes that Jesus is teaching about. And really, you know, as we're going through these really Beatitudes right now, the rest of the teaching is going to all reflect around these core uh, uh, verses that we're going over where he says, bless, you know, bless the poor in spirit, those who mourn, gentle, hunger and thirst for righteous, merciful. And the next one is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now it's getting even more personal because the closer you get to God, <clears throat> the more he's going to deal with heart issues. Now he's going straight for the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, 
and I, I'll say this here, and I don't mean to point it out just on here. This will actually reflect over every single one of these. But sometimes we have trouble seeing God because of impurity in our hearts. Or maybe we don't feel as full or unsatisfied in our Christian walk as we should be because we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Or maybe we're not getting as much mercy as we would like to get because we're not giving mercy. I mean, it goes through, through all of them. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. Purity deals with holiness. Righteousness deals with what Christ has done. So right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't get any more right before God than you are right now because Christ is your righteousness. You can't become any more right with the Lord than through your faith in Jesus Christ. You are made righteous in Christ. But we have this walking out of holiness where, where you know, God says, Be holy because I am holy. Holiness is that purity. It's that lifestyle. Holy and to be pure is really to be set apart. I'm choosing to be holy is to be set apart. I'm choosing to set a, a, apart my mental and my emotional outlook to be used for the Lord instead of my own thing. Amen? I'm, I'm choosing to... Uh, set aside my possessions and not do just what I want to do or fill up my own pleasures, but to do that which is pleasing to the Lord. You know, in the, in the temple, everything that was in the temple was used, was considered holy. It had to be set apart only for the use of God. You couldn't take the utensils even for making the bread or whatever and it's like, oh, you know, my wife lost my utensils at the house. I'll just borrow the ones from the house of the Lord and bring them back. No, it would defile it. It was only used for God's purpose. And none of us are walking totally in that, but it's, it's that desire to be set apart and learning to be set apart more and more every day as we continue this journey with the Lord. Because the reward is, when your heart is pure, you get to see more of God. That is a great reward. It's a great reward. It says in Corinthians that as we behold him, we become more like him. So as a believer, it should be one of our greatest desires to have this attitude of walking pure before the Lord because we need to see him. Because without seeing him, we can't become like him. Our whole Christian walk is about hearing his voice and seeing what he's doing. We need to hear what he says. We need to see what he's doing, just like Jesus did. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. We want to come to that place. Now, you know, the heart is really, you know, the center of one's being, which includes... You know, ironically, if you want to say, your mind and your emotions. It's your outlook, your mental and your emotional outlook. To be pure is to be clean, clear, free from things that corrupt. 
Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are becoming clean and clear and free from the things that corrupt because they shall see God. And the only thing that I know that cleans our hearts is the Word of God. It's the Word. You get the Word. You hear Paul talk about it, and, and kind of like it's like the washing of the water with the Word. It's the Word that breaks off all those things that defile. And some of those things, let's be honest, some of those things are so attached to our heart. They are deep core situations and issues that are in there. Some of them are so deep that, yeah, God has already dealt with some surface things of it, and each time we think that, you know, well, I didn't know that was still there. It's like, well, we didn't get to the root yet. We're just dealing a little bit at a time as you come closer. Because every time God gives you the invitation, I want you to come closer, we get all excited, which we should get excited about coming closer to God, but he's saying, come closer, and when he's saying, come closer, he's saying, I need to operate again. Because since I'm calling you to come closer to me, there's something in your life I need to deal with so that you can come closer. But I first give you the invitation. It's just like any, any surgeon. You, know, you fill out those paperwork whenever you, you go into uh, the hospital and you go to have an operation. You have to, in a sense, you're signing this paper that says, I give you permission to hurt me to make me better. God's putting out his hand. I want to make you pure. I want to wash those things from your life. And you know, when it's totally gone, when the root is totally gone, when there's no more fruit from that area in your life. Fruit can be good fruit, could, could be bad fruit. When you say the word fruit, doesn't mean you can eat all fruit. I mean, there's some things that, you know, everything that's living produces fruit. I mean, there's fruit, even if it's an acorn, that's, that's the fruit of the, of the uh, acorn tree. Oak tree, thank you. <laughs> Sometimes you go blank. You're like, uh, acorn tree? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'll be a fool for Jesus. But you know what? There's fruit in everything. And you know when it's totally... We go through seasons where, you know, a thing is done. And we, and we, we can see that we, we've grown. We need to celebrate in the growth because, okay, this used to be every day that I used to blow up in anger. Now it's like maybe once a month there's growth. Praise the Lord, you're becoming more like Jesus. And anger in itself is not wrong. It's an emotion. It's to act on your anger, which is sin. Amen? Emotions are, are, are emotions. God gave us emotions, but we need to have the right mental and emotional outlook according to the right culture and attitudes of heaven. Amen? And when you see those things no longer there and producing its fruit, you know that the root has been dealt with. It's not there anymore. We can get to that place where Jesus said, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Amen? There's things probably in your life right now. There's things in my life right now that used to have a root and it's not there anymore. That temptation is not even there. It's not even a temptation anymore because the root has been taken out. Amen? And that's a process. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Just a couple more. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is important because this deals with sonship. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Not people saying, oh, you're a son of God, but really God declaring that you are my children because you're acting like me. A peacemaker is one who takes the initiative to make peace. God was the first one to take initiative to make peace with us. 
through his son, Jesus Christ. As believers, especially among other believers, we should be almost tripping over each other to be the one to initialing, to take the initiation to bring peace to one another. Someone has ought against another, especially in the body of Christ. We should be the first ones to go and say, you know what, I want to make peace. I want to better understand. Let me, let me hear things that, from your perspective. I, 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 we, need to, we need to get this right. And sometimes it is just taking the time to listen because it, it's funny that no matter what you do in your life, you always see yourself as the hero. But guess what? You're not always the hero in the story, even though you're in the story. Sometimes it's just hearing other people because we need to be able to understand. And people stay in awe with one another because they feel like other people don't want to take the time to understand. You just want me to hear your point. You don't want to hear my point. We both need to be able to sit down. Okay, whoever wants to go first, it don't matter. Let me get, let's just clarify. This is what I'm saying. What are you hearing, right? Go back and forth. It takes time to make peace. It don't happen just like that. Amen? But it proves that we're sons of God when we're doing what he did. He came to make peace. We should be the ones to make peace. It's really a birthright and a birth assignment as the sons of God. And then really the last two of, uh, of the blessed are, kind of, they're kind of together, a little bit different, but the first one is in, in verse number 10. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted or really put to flight or pursued for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There it is again. You're being persecuted for the kingdom of heaven. And you're standing, it's, it's for righteousness. No, you're not just being persecuted. You're being persecuted because uh, it's a cause of persecution because of your loyalty to righteousness. The reward is the kingdom of heaven. And then the next one, in verse number 11, he says, Blessed are, the, are, blessed are you when people insult you. That word insult means to defame, to rile at, to chide, to taunt. It even has to do like, you know, uh, uh, to cast back in your face. The, the, the term of that is like to cast in your teeth. They just they throw it back at you. And it goes on to say, a persecution. They falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. Rejoice. That word rejoice means like it's a cheerful joy. It's a, it's a calmly happy. You ever been calmly happy? I mean, you get to that state. Anybody ever see Kung Fu Panda, the original one? Right? And, and at the end, after the guy's all beat up, the sensei's there, and, and he, after the fight, they, they really ex exerted themselves, you know, and he's just laying there. He's like, oh. And he's like, Mr. Yue, whatever his name was, are, are you alive? He's like, I'm not dead, you idiot. <laughs> he says, I'm just at peace. He had that calm Joy, that calm peace. This is, this is part of that. Even in, even in being persecuted, we can have a calm joy and a calm peace in the Lord. He says, for great is your reward in heaven. Your reward in heaven is great. I mean, it's so great. He don't even describe everything else. He tells you what it is. He's like, listen. You know, if you're being insulted and persecuted and people saying all false kinds of evil against you on account of me, rejoice because your reward in heaven is great. We'll talk about it later. 
right? For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Now, real quickly, I want to finish up through, through, uh, chat, or through number, uh, uh, verse number 20. I wanted to spend the majority of the time through these attitudes. Now, there's three things that Jesus gives us that shows with the proper attitude what we're able to do or our effects. And remember, we said that the right attitude is normal in the kingdom of heaven. So number two, the right attitude is salt to a tasteless earth. When do you put salt on something? When it has no flavor. That's when you put salt on something. There's people all around us who do not have the flavor of Jesus. They do not have the taste of the flavor of heaven. With these attitudes, these right attitudes that we just went over, Jesus continues. It doesn't stop. He, did, he doesn't all of a sudden go to some other topic. He's saying, listen, I just went down through all these things that you're blessed if you have these attitudes. Now listen, you are the salt of the earth. Your, your right attitude is salt to a tasteless earth. It's when people are going through things that, that they need some flavor in their lives is when the attitudes of heaven can show forth through our lives to be able to bring blessing to them. Say, hey, it's not as bad. It don't have to be that way. How about a little Jesus on there? Let's put a little Jesus on that. Now taste it again. Oh, that's not too bad. How about a little more Jesus on there? Oh, that, that tasted pretty good. Wow. Okay. Remember, your attitude will help you soar, keep you grounded, or cause you to crash. If we have the right attitude and we're soaring, we're helping other people to take off and not stay grounded. And we're helping other people who are on an din- uh, uh, incline, you're really uh, declining down to crash. We're helping them to adjust and get back up where they need to be in Jesus. Amen. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on underfoot. Really, you know, if we have a bad attitude and we're walking around trying to be uh, examples for Jesus, there's no use in that. We're not helping anybody out. It's tasteless. We actually have to be salted again. We need someone to salt us all over again. Amen? Salt is a seasoning and a, and a preserving chemical, but if it's left on the bare earth or exposed to the sun, rain or air, it loses its savor and becomes worthless. God don't want our salt to remain, you know, grounded. He wants us to soar. We can be like one of those crop spreaders, right? We just spread the salt of the Lord everywhere we go. They can be like, hey, right? All right. And when I said, hey, it was no pun intended because of the farm. Hey, whatever. Okay. (laughs) The next one, number three, the right attitude is light in a dark world. The right attitude, the ones we just went through, is light in a dark world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You have... These right attitudes cannot be hidden. When you're functioning in these things, people notice. They may not say something to you every single time that you're displaying this, but they notice. And you can be guaranteed when they need salt in their lives, they're going to come to you. Or when they need some light in their darkness, they're going to come looking to the one who seems to hold the light and the salt. Amen? 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does any anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but puts it on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Wherever we go, we bring light to those around us. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Let's do it this way. Let your light shine before men that they may see the attitude of heaven or the right attitude. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. The last one. The right attitude must come from the heart. It has to come from within. He begins to deal with the Pharisees here. And he says in verse number 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Whoever then annuls or reduces to nothing or cancels one of these commandments and and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I want to stop here just for a minute because, you know, yes, he's talking about the commandments that are in the Old Testament, but he's also talking about these attitudes here because he's really summing up the Old Testament through these right attitudes. These are the attitudes that we need to have. And he says, so whoever then annuls or cancels out these commandments and teaches others to do the same, that they're nothing, shall be least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps these teachings and, and, and shall be called uh, great in the kingdom of heaven. And he says here in verse number 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness, and I could even put in here and say, Unless your mental and emotional outlook on life in the kingdom of God surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to read one verse and we'll close. This has to do to show you their heart, where their heart is, and that it is a heart issue that God deals with the heart. It comes in here. It's not just by doing things on the outside. You can't do any of these things and be considered blessed in your own works. It comes from here first and then flourishes out here. He says this in Matthew 23, 25 through 28, if you're taking notes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, pretenders, actors, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, pretenders, actors, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appears beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's an inward work. The right attitude comes from the right heart before God.